Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, this podcast episode is brought to you by our sponsor, St. Gaster. So are you looking at getting your product into the hands of the right people, the people that are going to absolutely love it? Did you know that podcast advertising is literally 4.4 times more effective than the traditional display type of advertising? So if you're looking at really using podcast advertising, you may want to connect with Sencaster. So they've created this thing. It's called the Sencaster Podcast Marketplace, where you can connect as a brand or a company with the right type of creators. And again, you know, via Sencaster, you can connect with people like myself, where essentially we are putting ads of the brands and the companies that we absolutely love. So again, if you are interested in doing this, just go to send.ai forward slash dealmakers1, and that is a number one. And again, the team at Sencaster will be able to guide you in the right direction. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we're going to have a very interesting founder. I think that we're going to be learning quite a bit from his experience. I think that we're, you're going to be quite inspired, uh, you know, from simplifying it to finding vulnerabilities, you know, in, in, in high school. I mean, you name it. I think that we're going to be having quite a bit of fun here listening to the story. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Sharaf Mehta. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alejandro. So originally born and raised in the Bay Area. So how was life growing up there? Give us a walk through memory lane. You know, it's incredible. You know, we still have incredible weather here in the Bay Area. Um, and, you know, I still consider it, you know, my home. I'm really grateful to have grown up in the Bay Area because I really got to see, you know, Silicon Valley, you know, build around me. It got me, you know, coding at a very young age. I, you know, I started coding when I was just, you know, nine or 10 years old. And, um, you know, I think, you know, being in Silicon Valley, it was one of the best places to, you know, just be around everything that was happening in technology. And it was you know, truly inspiring for me. Now, in your case, you know, like you started coding quite early, you know, at nine years old. I mean, at nine years old, I mean, there were so many things that I did, but definitely not coding. So how did you get the book to get into coding so young? Yeah, you know, I, I was always just fascinated by computers, even like, you know, before I started coding. Um, you know, I remember, you know, my parents, um, you know, brought back like a laptop, you know, from work one day, and I was just trying to figure out how how did the CD-ROM, you know, work. And I think, you know, uh, what what my parents told me is I put Play-Doh, you know, in the CD-ROM because I thought that's how you make software. You just put something in the CD-ROM and like the game just shows up. So I was like, oh, maybe I can make, um, you know, a Play-Doh game. And, you know, that computer just broke down, you know, instantly. And I still, you know, remember it, um, you know, to this day. But I was just so fascinated with computers and breaking them apart and, you know, playing with them, you know, as much as I could. And, you know, I think when the iPhone and, you know, Android first came out, that was kind of like, you know, the jaw drop moment for me. You know, this was like a device I could feel, I could touch. You know, I, you know, saw people with it everywhere. And, you know, I wanted to, you know, really develop, you know, apps, you know, for it as soon as they had, you know, the app store up. So that was, you know, probably one of the most pivotal moments where I really, really got into, you know, coding and got so excited by it. Now, one of the things that uh, really got you exposed to to security to a certain degree was, uh, you know, just uh, playing around with computers in school, which uh, almost got you in trouble. So what happened there? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there was this time in high school where, you know, I was just really bored. Um, I didn't have, you know, a ton, a ton to do. So 
you know, our high school, they release, you know, schedules, you know, in advance, you know, with all the teachers and stuff that you're getting. And I wanted to figure out, am I getting the easy teachers or the hard teachers? And, you know, what am I signing up for? And so I spent, you know, probably like a whole day, you know, trying to, you know, just like play around with like the scheduling software and like the website to kind of prepare for all this. And, you know, I found this like vulnerability that let me see, you know, all my you know predefined schedules and stuff in advance. But I didn't, you know, I didn't just stop there. I shared it with a bunch of my friends and, you know, people in my classes to so that everyone could kind of take a look and eventually got back, you know, to the school admin. And I was in this like, you know, leadership program where like, you know, the principal and a lot of, you know, folks are involved. So like the principal, you know, called me, you know, right away and said, like, you know, I'm in a lot of trouble. Like, what were you thinking? You know, like looking at, you know, all these schedules and stuff in advance. Now everyone's trying to, you know, make changes ahead of time. Um, and, you know, he had me, you know, come in and explain to like the IT staff, like, you know, what I did and, you know, how to fix it. And, you know, the IT staff was, you know, fairly nice. And, you know, I, uh, you know, they told me I was originally going to be in like a lot of trouble, but, um, you know, I think the IT, you know, staff probably had a bit of a soft spot, um, you know, for some of the stuff I was doing and they, you know, they let me go, um, you know, without, you know, any, uh, you know, any penalties or anything, but it was definitely like an eye opening moment for me. And as far as like, you know, security and, you know, what I could be doing to, you know, help people, um, and, um, you know, things that, you know, are, uh, that'll get me in a bit less trouble. <laughs> I hear you now talking about getting in less trouble. I mean, encountering iOS and Android. So how did you really, you know, uh, establish that, that first uh, contact with them and, and why did you find that so fascinating? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the big thing, you know, with iOS and Android, it was just like a revolutionary launch, you know, at the time. Um, and, you know, I was growing up, you know, all around it, you know, all these folks had, you know, iPhones and Androids in their pocket, and they had just released an app store. And, you know, a lot of the programming that I was doing at the time was like, you know, facing a computer terminal, and, you know, you know, playing with a bunch of scripts, you know, web apps, you know, I wasn't even really playing with web apps, you know, at that time. Um, to the same level other than some like, you know, basic HTML and CSS. Um, so when I saw that, like, hey, we could produce like a graphical, you know, output on like a mobile device and like I could build like almost like a, you know, uh, you know, Game Boy game or something like that that I grew up with, you know, I, I was just so, you know, excited and inspired. But, um, you know, it required like a much bigger skill set. There weren't a lot of books or anything on this. So it took me a while to like learn and figure this stuff out. And um, I eventually started developing, you know, on Android because I just had, you know, more experience with Java than, you know, Objective-C at the time, which was really not, you know, a super, you know, popular language. And the other thing is on iPhone, it took, you know, you have to pay $100 a year and it could take like a month or two to get apps approved. And um, so I ended up going with Android where, you know, you pay $25. And at the time, I think it was just a one-time fee and your apps went instantly, you know, live on the App Store. Um, so, you know, it was just a lot more exciting and it just got me super engaged. You know, I think I, I developed like 10 different apps in like, you know, a single year just by, you know, working every weekend, you know, outside of school to, you know, push these out. Now, it's interesting, you know, for you that, you know, someone that has been born and raised in the Bay Area, you know, where you've had the exposure there to all the innovation, to many of your friends probably launching their own businesses. Why do you think, you know, it took you so long? I mean, you, you, you actually made a very wise a really interesting decision where instead of like really going at it yourself, you waited a little bit and you decided to work with the with the absolute best before doing so. So how, who gave you that piece of advice? Because typically people would just go at it right away without really understanding what's in front of them. But in this case, you know, like you made that decision and you actually wanted to really learn the ropes first, have visibility, and then eventually, you know, like go at it on your own. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a great question. You know, when I was actually, it kind of goes back to when I was developing these Android apps. 
So I was developing them before, you know, Android even had paid apps, you know, available at the store. Like they just hadn't, you know, you know, built that in yet. And it was, you know, in progress at the time. So I had like a very early first mover advantage. You know, if I, you know, release something in the app store, it would, you know, instantly become a hit. And so I didn't understand like marketing and sales and stuff at this time. And um, I had actually, you know, invested, you know, a year uh, with a couple friends who I got involved in this project um, to build this game called, you know, CandyBot. It's, you know, maybe somewhere, there's probably the APK somewhere around the web still. Um, and, you know, we had spent, you know, almost like two different summers working on it and, you know, just invested so much more time. And by the time we had launched it, you know, we kind of lost this like first mover advantage. There were a lot more sophisticated developers and, you know, games from like companies like Gameloft and Angry Birds and stuff in the App Store. So it was, you know, much harder to get traction. And we, we launched it and we got, you know, I think less than 100 downloads. And most of those were probably like our friends and family and people we had sent it to. And, you know, I was kind of confused. I was like, wait, every app I launched before this, like just instant viral hit, I posted on the App Store. And, um, you know, a lot of those apps, you know, started declining over time because I was, again, losing this first mover advantage. And I, you know, really didn't understand it to the same level I do today. Um, and I still like think back to that moment, you know, a, a ton. Um, but it was kind of realization where I had like, you know, a lot to learn and I had a lot to like figure out. And I really wanted to understand like the business side of things. Um, you know, I had met with, you know, folks at like Google and like Zynga and some of these companies. And I was like, wow, this is like, you know, the people that we're competing against are like very, very sophisticated. They have like a lot going on. They have like whole teams of people. And I'm out here with like, you know, one or two friends that, you know, just learned the program over the last few years you know, building something, um, you know, against professionals. So I was just like, I had so much to learn. It got me a lot less interested in building games, but um, it got me a lot more interested in entrepreneurship. Now, in your case, you know, going through all these different companies where you were able to have that visibility. I mean, you worked at the pilot, you worked at scale, uh, where in one you were employee number one. Now that company is like uh, over 300 employees. The other one employee like 10 or 15. Now they're like over a thousand uh, what what does it look like when you go and and, and you're part of like the first uh, uh, members, you know, of, of a company that is, you know, building a rocket ship? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the early days are, you know, some of the most like defining, you know, for the company, you know, this early team is the one that sets the culture, you know, they hire the next, you know, generation of folks that, you know, you bring on to the company, they're going to be on, you know, every single, you know, interview panel. So, you know, building the founding team is, you know, so, so critical. And, you know, it's very hard to, you know, get right, um, you know, quite frankly, you know, one of the things I did when working in all these companies is like, you, you're surrounded by people that want to work at startups that have like a lot of ambition. Um, and, you know, this isn't like the end of their, you know, career or anything. So, you know, I tried to pull in people that I've worked with, worked with before that I would get along with well, that I trusted, you know, their judgment on helping us bring in people and, you know, just people who, you know, wanted, you know, who had this like winning mentality, who just wanted it, you know, so bad. That, you know, they were willing to like take this risk. And, you know, even, you know, now when we bring on people to secure frame, you know, especially in these times, I tell people like, look, I'm not going to, you know, de-risk, you know, secure frame for you. I'm not going to, you know, tell you and drink all the Kool-Aid and tell you that, hey, this is guaranteed to become a billion dollar company. And, you know, I'd love, um, you know, for us to, you know, one day take secure frame public, but I'm also not going to, you know, sit here and, you know, you know, tell you a hundred percent, you know, for sure that, you know, this is everything that's going to be happening. Like there is like an assumed amount of risk. And I think, you know, employees like need to understand that and understand what they're signing up for. And I think, you know, the best employees at like startups, um, you know, you know, understand that risk and, you know, uh, you know, are there for it. You know, that's what they signed up for, you know, outsized, you know, they're getting a little taking on more risk, but they're hopefully, you know, looking for an outsized return. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that 
you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. Now let's talk about taking a little more risk. At what point do you realize, you know, hey, I, I think it's my time now. You know, when, when because as they say, you know, it's interesting in your case, you know, in high school, you know, you were already, you know, dealing with security, you know, stuff. You were already finding the vulnerability issues like we had talked before. And ideas, you know, they take time to incubate. You know, they are there doormat. You know, we don't even know that they are there. But eventually they evolve, they progress, they take different shapes of form. And then there is perhaps certain sequences of events that, that trigger us to really wanting to bring those ideas to life. So in your case, what was that process like? And at what point do you realize, hey, you know, it's time for me to, 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 to take this on my own and, and, get, and go at it? Yeah. So for a long time, you know, it was always like, you know, kind of, you know, working on random projects on the weekend or, you know, anything that interested me, whether it was coding or woodworking, you know, or something else like, you know, always, you know, just been fascinated by computers. And I love to kind of get my hands dirty and, you know, mess around with new technology. You know, I'm always kind of the first to hop on to maybe not these days, but, you know, I always used to like browse Kickstarter for like the coolest hardware projects. You know, unfortunately, in hardware, like it's very hard to, you know, get a business working. There's like, you know, you know, a hundred more ways, you know, for your business to die when you have, you know, a hardware product just related to costs and stuff. But, you know, I was exploring, you know, a lot of different things. And, you know, I had a lot of people kind of coming to me, you know, asking for advice on like, hey, how did you get this off to it? Like your previous companies, like this is such a, you know, complicated, you know, process and industry. And, you know, when I was at, you know, Lob, we had, you know, spent a ton on like lawyers and security consultants to figure this process out. And we really didn't. So, you know, I had read the 400 page manual to, you know, figure this stuff all out myself. And, you know, we'd gotten, you know, the report technically, you know, from, you know, our auditor and, you know, the founders kept sending me a bunch of people who, you know, needed to get, you know, these certifications and reports, but just couldn't, you know, figure out how and they sent them to me to, you know, give them some advice. And, you know, I'd be telling folks like, hey, this is like very complicated, like there's just no way it's worth it until you're over 100 people and you're dealing with, you know, these specific scenarios. Um, but still, like all these, you know, um, you know, companies decided, hey, they needed to get, you know, these certifications um, because it was essential for, you know, their business or to, you know, be able to work with certain customers. So, you know, fast forward to 2018, 2019, you know, SOC 2 and some of these standards started to become, you know, the de facto standard out there. 
And I had people coming to me with these templates I had put out on GitHub and asking me, like, hey, you know, Shrav, like, how do you actually, like, use these templates? Like, I see them. I totally understand them. You know, can you introduce me to auditors to work with and, um, you know, stuff like that? So um, I started asking a couple of these folks, like, hey, you know, if we built a product to, you know, automate this, like, really now it's possible because of the advent of, like, APIs and stuff to, you know, make this much easier to pull in data from AWS or your HR system to, you know, automate a lot of these, you know, security certifications. Um, you know, would you, you know, pay for it? And, you know, a couple of these folks were like, yes. And I think, you know, like, a you know, uh, a month went by and like one of them called me up and they're like, okay, so where is it? Like, uh, you know, we need this like right away. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, I was just kind of exploring and asking, but, you know, that was kind of the, you know, aha moment for me where, you know, I quit my job and, you know, started really working on it. And, um, you know, by the time we launched, you know, we had, you know, um, probably more than like 40 customers. Yeah. Now, for the people that are listening to really get it, you know, what ended up becoming the business model of SecureFrame? We basically charge like an annual fee, you know, based on, you know, your company size, the certifications you're looking for, and like, you know, the overall, you know, customer requirements that you might have as a business. And then, you know, we charge you that, you know, on an annual basis, um, and we help you get, you know, all the certifications that you want. Uh, we're also, you know, launching a whole bunch of other, you know, products and services that, you know, will just, you know, be added on top of, you know, the platform. And uh, obviously for you guys, I mean, it was quite um, quite an interesting seed round because not a lot of people were really, uh, or you thought, that were really educated in, in the space and you needed to simplify by a mile, you know, the, the pitch. So, so how was that journey of raising that seed round for you all? Yeah, you know, um, you know, I was lucky enough to, you know, manage to raise our seed round in a, you know, with, with great investors. But when we first, um, you know, when we first started, you know, pitching people, a lot of people didn't really understand, you know, what SOC 2 or any of these security reviews and certifications were, you know, I had investors kind of ask me like, you know, is this, you know, even a real thing? I don't know any startups or companies that have had to get these. I haven't seen them anywhere. You know, the pitch really wasn't landing with people. They didn't believe that this was like a real problem that, you know, companies had. But, you know, eventually, you know, we, you know, ran into, you know, Darian Shirazi at Gradient Ventures and TJ at, you know, Base 10 Ventures. and. Um, they had actually already been like researching the space and, you know, felt that this was going to be a really, really big opportunity. And they had kind of seen it, you know, before everyone else. And like when, you know, I came along, they're like, you know, we already have done like a lot of research in the space. We were very interested in funding something. And we had kind of just connected with the right investors at the right time. And, you know, we managed to get, you know, the seed round done. But, you know, I will tell you, like, there was a lot of people who really just didn't understand the product because it was it's fairly complex. You know, one of the reasons we started SecureFrame is because this is a fairly complex industry and product and stuff to kind of understand. And, you know, SecureFrame, you know, generally helps simplify that, but we still have to simplify, you know, the pitch to our investors. And we didn't really do a great job of that early on. And there's probably a lot of people that are uh, right now in the process of maybe racing around or or they're thinking about doing, you know, around. And I think that simplifying, you know, simplicity is king. So... How do you go about simplifying the pitch? Or how did you do that yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing is like, um, you know, a lot of investors, you know, most investors are like fairly sophisticated. You know, many of them were former operators, former engineers. But, you know, even when you're explaining a technical product to them, you know, you might have like a 30 minute pitch meeting set up with them. And then there's some intros, there's some buffer, you know, some people might arrive late. You really have like, you know, two to three minutes to kind of get the high level idea and catch their attention and the hook, you know, for why they should pay attention, you know, for the rest of this call and, you know, why they should be interested. And, you know, we learned that, um, you know, we had to like really just simplify the process. So what I, you know, told people is like SOC 2 is really just a giant list of things that you have to do in order to, you know, uh, uh, you know, in order to secure your business. 
And, you know, SecureFrame basically helps you automate that giant list of things. And, you know, pretty much every company, you know, that wants to sell to the enterprise or really even mid-market and SMB companies, you know, needs to have these security certifications where they just can't sell, they can't close revenue, and they're just less secure as a business and, you know, potentially more open to, you know, vulnerabilities and breaches. So when I started kind of explaining this and, you know, showing, you know, some of the early traction customers that we had, um, you know, people really started to understand that this was a problem that was developing and just hadn't, you know, hit, you know, its full potential at that time. By the time, you know, we were ready to start, you know, raising our Series A, you know, we had a good list of investors and angels who were paying attention and following the business closely. And it seemed that, hey, we had a lot of customer traction. You know, we were bringing out a lot of, you know, um, you know, annual recurring revenue and annual contracts. And, you know, we had customers that really loved what we were doing and hated the old painful ways of, you know, getting these certifications. So, you know, a lot of people had just done a lot more research by our Series A. Um, we had created like memos, you know, really helping people understand and dive into the technology and, you know, what we were building so that, you know, everyone could kind of really understand and be prepared when, um, you know, we came, you know, together for like a meeting. And th that was definitely like a you know big game changer for us. And in terms of uh, financing, how much capital have you guys raised to date? Yeah, so to date, we've raised about 79 million. Now, we've talked about here the seed round. We've talked about also the Series A. So what happens, you know, typically, because when you go from the Series A to the Series B is now when you're transitioning from being an early stage company to now being more in growth stage mode. So what really happens during that transition and what kind of expectations do you typically, perhaps in your case, you know, did you encounter? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think there's this kind of like saying there's like nothing like numbers to ruin a great story. I think in the last year, you know, there were a lot of companies that got funded at, you know, exuberant, you know, valuations you know, some with like very limited revenue, some, you know, even pre-product market fit. Um, and, you know, it's not necessarily like always like a bad thing. But, you know, now, you know, obviously the the market, the economy, you know, has changed and values businesses that you know, are producing a lot more cash flow and revenue than, you know, uh, how businesses were maybe being, you know, evaluated, you know, in the last year. You know, I think it's it's always held true, though, that you need like, you know, the numbers to really prove your story. And I think, you know, at Series B, that's really kind of like, you know, the, the cutoff point where you really have to, you know, show that you have a great business that's ready to scale and, you know, go public. You know, investors are putting in a lot of money at that stage and they're expecting, you know, a big outcome. They're expecting to usually, you know, get 10x plus, you know, probably more, you know, of a return from the company. So they're evaluating, hey, can this be, you know, a billion dollar company? Can this be a $10 billion company that, you know, we see going public? You know, do we believe in the team, the leadership, the product? Um, you know, the customer, the customers, um, you know, everything. So what was the total amount raised, Shraf? So we raised about uh, 79 million um, across all of our rounds. And then I believe our Series B was uh, 56 mil. Got it. I mean, it's uh, impressive too, the, the people that you guys have, you know, people like Kleiner Perkins, you know, and the, and the other ones that you've mentioned. So, so really good stuff. Now, in terms of, you know, the, the, the operations, you know, and, and where you guys are at, you know, in the process, I mean, anything that you can share with the people that are listening to really get an idea of how big you guys are, like maybe like number of employees or anything else that you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, last year, you know, we grew our revenue, you know, 10x and, you know, our customer base, you know, 7x, um, you know, we increased like, you know, the average revenue we're getting from our customers and, you know, our net dollar retention, you know, has remained strong. And, you know, most importantly, you know, we have customers that, you know, rely on secure frame and, you know, really love, you know, everything that we're building and, you know, everything that, you know, we plan to build to, you know, support, you know, their security, privacy and compliance operations, you know, in the future. So, you know, these, you know, are, you know, some really, you know, hefty metrics to meet, you know, on both like, you know, the revenue, 
customer growth side. And, um, you know, that's really what allowed us to, you know, raise, you know, a great round, um, you know, for our Series B. And in terms of vision, let's talk about vision here for, for, for a few minutes. So imagine you go to sleep tonight, Sharaf, and, and you have this, the, the sleep of a lifetime. I mean, you, you wake up in a world five years later, and all of a sudden, the vision of Secure Frame is fully realized. What does that world look like? Yeah. So, um, you know, one of my, you know, controversial or maybe it's not that controversial, but I'll call it a hot take is that I don't think SOC 2 is going to be around in 10 years. You know, I think, you know, the idea of secure review, security certifications will be, you know, around um, in some form. But, you know, SOC 2, you know, itself has gone through several iterations. It used to be called like SAS 70 and used to be called something else before that. And it's really iterated over time. And, you know, it changes every couple of years as well as some of these other certifications. And, um, you know, PCI V4 is, you know, right around the corner today. Um, so, you know, I, you know, believe that, you know, if SecureFrame is successful, you know, we will be able to, you know, define, you know, modern security standards and really help, you know, secure the internet, you know, over the long term. And I believe that, you know, SecureFrame will be, you know, a household name where, you know, every company will be using some tool that we have, you know, in our suite to, you know, secure their business. You know, now let's let's take a look at also, you know, reflecting, reflecting, taking a look back and imagine if I was able to put you into a time machine. And I bring you back in time. And I bring you back in time to that moment that um, that maybe you were thinking about, you know, doing something of your own. Imagine you had the chance of, I mean, obviously now you've raised a lot of money. You know, you've you've been around the block. And you had the opportunity of have a chat with that younger Shraf where you are able to share one piece of advice before launching a, a business. What would that be and why, you know, given what you know now? Yeah. Um, you know, I think early, you know, when I was young, I was like very, you know, obsessed with school, making sure that I got good grades. And, you know, I, you know, sometimes like didn't focus, you know, enough on my hobbies and the things that, you know, brought me excitement. Um, and you know, that's the stuff I get to do on a daily basis today. Um, so what I would tell myself is um, you know, stop don't stress about like the grades, like the work, you know, do stuff that you're interested in and just be the best at it. Amazing. And just saying, out of curiosity, you know, like for the people that are listening, what would be a book that you've read that you wouldn't mind reading it a second time? Yeah. Um, so, you know, one book I'm reading right now is Snowball, um, which is like a biography of, you know, Warren Buffett and, you know, his life and, you know, um, you know his thinkings. Um, it was written by, you know, someone who is who worked on his staff, who was very close with them. Um, you know, I'm still, you know, going through the whole thing, but, you know, it's been you know, very insightful. And, you know, I, you know, I imagine I'll probably have to read it, you know, a second time to um, really get those deeper learnings. Amazing. I mean, as they say, history repeats and, and being able to, to read all of those profiles and biographies is, is, is super helpful. And I see, by the way, uh, a lot of other founders, you know, that have come on the show that, that have shared that they, that, that, they, that they just, you know, at the beginning, they just were reading and reading biographies. And that really helped them to really understand, you know, perhaps the path and the journey in front of them. So, Sharaf. For the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Yeah, so, you know, feel free to, you know, check out our website at secureframe.com. You know, if you have, uh, you know, anything that you want to send me directly, feel free to shoot me an email. You know, my email is just shrav at secureframe.com. And, uh, you know, I regularly, you know, talk with our customers and, you know, try to get back to, you know, as many folks as I can. Amazing. Well, Sharaf, it has been an honor to have you with us today on the DealMaker Show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, 
share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.